0: Well, good to be here, haven't been here in a while, but I love this church, love your pastor, and I love, it's good to see you, Brother Doty, Brother Putney, Brother Birch, I'm going to forget someone, so I'm just going to stop right now. I do love you, and I thank God for you, and I thank God for the church. The church is my family. You know, most of my extended family, is, they're not saved. They don't know the Lord. The church has been my family. There's a deacon in a church that taught me to hunt and fish, and the uh, church has been a family for me, and I thank God for it, and I thank God for our extended family around the world. Well, happy 4th, hey, and take your Bible, turn to Numbers chapter 21 he mentioned it was a good sermon last night, so this one's for sure is going to be a dud. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it's going to be, you know. Um, I'm, I'm quite bipolar in my ministry, and he uh, pray for my people. I'm up and down like a yo-yo, and good one Sunday and bomb the next. You know, and I always say, you know, 333 gets you into the Hall of Fame, you know. So if you can preach one good one out of three, you're doing pretty good, man you're up there, man. And, uh, but thank the Lord, it's not me. Amen. It's his word. And it's his word that works. And we want to promote his word. And his word still works. It's not going to quit working. You say, well, a lot of people don't want to hear it. A lot of people have never wanted to hear it. All right. Uh, Jesus Christ just had a handful around the cross. The greatest preacher to ever live, there were a couple hundred in the upper room after his resurrection. Don't be surprised, but there's always someone that wants it. There's an Ethiopian eunuch that wants it. There's a, there's a hardcore Orthodox Jew who, uh, according to the law, is blameless and uh, lives in good conscience before God and man just has to be knocked off his horse. And when he gets knocked off his horse, hopefully there's an Ananias, or Ananias around. And uh, maybe there's, uh, you know, perhaps you're like Peter and you're sitting on top of a roof and and you're doing your thing. And the Lord says, what God hath cleansed, don't call that common or unclean. There might be someone that God wants you to reach or to witness to that might be outside of your group or outside of your race. And you might not want them here because they might have swam the river illegally, uh, but they need Jesus Christ. You're welcome. I didn't mean to say that, but it's the way it goes, you know. And uh, look at here at uh, Numbers chapter 21. I, I thank the Lord for this country. The preacher mentioned that I was overseas, and it is true. I remember right before we left, Brother Doty looked at me, and he came up to me, and he said, Heffman, Heffman, you're going to kiss the ground when you come back to America. He was, you know how much I have to pay to get that kind of intensity? That's dope, man. Six Red Bulls. 349 times six. Whatever that is. But uh he's right, I did. I kissed the ground. I did. I literally kissed the tarmac. We're, we're blessed here. We're blessed. We're blessed because of the word of God. And I'm sure Brother Sal covered that eloquently, and I don't need to touch on that. I want you to look at Numbers chapter 21. I do. But I do thank the Lord for the liberty to preach freely still. Numbers chapter 21, I want you to look at verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. The Lord had told them to go around Edom because the Edomites were their relatives. Don't pick a fight with them. Meddle not with them, he said. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. The people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread, that manna, that angel's food. They were tired of it. It's amazing that you can get full of miraculous food, but God's people do all the time. That's why some people are at the lake this morning. Uh, years ago, my dad called up Pastor Blue, and he said, "Man, it was a—we didn't have good attendance today." He said, "Well, when you throw out the feed for the chickens, only the hungry ones come and get it. You see, and uh, but to the hungry soul, ever bitter thing is sweet." You know, I thank God for what happened this last year because I've seen some people—they en- endured some bitterness in their life. I saw some teenagers, some young people that were broken-hearted being. Uh, trapped and, and locked up in their home like an animal, and uh, got pe- neighbors calling the cops on them just for two teenagers taking the trash out just to get a little fresh air, and uh, a broken spirit, but I thank God because that makes people hungry for His Word and hungry for the book, and uh, it's unfortunate, but fatness and prosperity uh, uh, bring a coldness toward the things of God. And you can try to overrule that and you can try to work around it, but it's just a fact of nature. When you're hungry, you hunt better. Uh, I come from Montana. We like to hunt a lot. The natives, they wouldn't eat when they hunted. They said it dimmed your vision. They said your senses weren't as alert. When you're hungry, you're looking, you're aware. And I'll tell you, I've seen some people hungry for God this last year, and I thank Him for it. But they were so full. We're so spoiled. Look at verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And uh, that's, that's the ministry right there. You pray for people that are, that are whining and, and trying to get rid of you and talking behind your back, but that's your job. That's what the Lord did, and that's what you should do. And uh, verse 8, and the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived, and the children of Israel set forward. And I want you to go a little further here, and I want you to look here in verse 16, and from thence they went to beer, that is the well whereof the Lord spake unto Moses, that's proof a German wrote the Bible, the, water, the word for water is beer, and uh, gather the people together and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song, spring up O well, sing ye unto it. And the princes digged the well, the nobles of the people digged it by the direction of the lawgiver with their staves. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this message today. Lord, I thank you for this place. I thank you for where we live and the freedom to be able to proclaim your word as we see fit and according to the dictates of our conscience we're well aware that there are many in this world that don't have that privilege. And, Father, I, I ask you this morning, Now I know it's, we're spread out. I know we got lunch coming up and we got activities of the day. But, oh, Father, I pray in the next few minutes, you, you, you'd, uh, Father, bring a calm over us and this place. Give us an attentiveness to your word. Speak, O Lord. They're timeless truths, eternal truths. We need them. We need this word that can build us up and give us an inheritance among them that are sanctified. And, O Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd speak to each and every person in this place today. In the name of our Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. I want you to look at verse 4 where he says the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. The way uh, that they took... Over in Exodus chapter thirteen and verse seventeen, when uh, God redeemed His people out of Israel, uh, Egypt, He redeemed them by the blood of the Lamb, uh, He brought them out of bondage when they struck the the blood of the lamb upon the doorposts of their house and And the Most High said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And God redeemed a people out of Egypt uh, and to bring them into a promised land, a place that he had prepared for them. Uh, The Lord Jesus Christ shed his precious blood for us on the cross, and he said this, he says, uh, I go, in my Father's house are many mansions, I go to prepare a place for you. And the Lord didn't just redeem them. He had an expected end for them. He had an eternal destination for them. Uh, He had an end. Uh, Like the preacher said, God might not have chosen our beginning. He didn't choose us before the foundation of the world to be saved, uh, but he sure did choose our end. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be uh, conformed to the image of his dear son. What can we say then? If God before us Who can be against us? My friend, if you're saved today, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, your destination is fixed. Now, you might not get there for a while, and it might be a rough way in. Sure, he said, as it is written, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. He talks about things separating us that seem to separate us from the love of God, persecution and peril and famine and sword and height and depth and any other creature but he says i'm persuaded that none of these things can separate us from the love of god that is in christ jesus and he says "Herein we do groan desiring to be clothed upon with our tabernacle that is from heaven the journey started when we accepted jesus christ as our savior we were given the earnest of the spirit and the the promise of a future uh, possession but we're not there yet We're not there yet. And so it is with them. He says in Exodus 13, verse 17, he said, he led them not by the way of the Philistines. The truth is in the land of Goshen there, the children of Israel could have just easily followed that coastal plain and been in the promised land in just a couple of days. But he didn't take them that way. He led them by the way of the wilderness. And they end up being in the wilderness for 40 years. Why? He tells them over in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that he had a design for that. He taught thee. He allowed thee to suffer. He allowed thee to hunger that you could learn that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You see, it was more than just delivering them from Egypt. He had to be prepare a people that was fit for the land, that was fit for the heavenly kingdom. And I want to tell you something, Christian. You better mark it down and you better hold it close to your heart. A come hell or high water, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the of jesus christ he's not done with you yet and we have an expected end Uh, we have a promised land but it says here in numbers chapter 21 and verse 4 he says they were much discouraged they were much discouraged because of the way now you know this bunch here in numbers i'm talking to a bible believing church you know all this bunch is slated for death right They went up there and they scouted the land and they brought forth an evil report. And he said, boy, all of you suckers over 20, he says, you ain't even going in. And some of these guys, they, they know there's a lot of them that are, that are going to die. And the rest of them, these kids, they've seen their parents die. These people that fell short of faith, that weren't able to enter in uh, because of unbelief. And there's a people here that they know the clock is ticking. And there's going to be a lot of death before they enter the promised land and so it is with the christian there's a lot of dying to be done not just physical but spiritual there's a lot of dying to self there's a lot of dying to pride there's a lot of dying to ambition there's a lot of dying to dreams there's a lot of dying to misplaced hope the way things were supposed to be and this book says about these people and i i've been there and i've been there several times and I'm sure you're there, and uh, if statistics <laughs> are right, and they are, and if I know anything at all, some of you are here, there even today. They were discouraged because of the way, because of the way. I want you to look here at Numbers chapter 20, the discouragement of the way this morning. In Numbers chapter 20, and look what he says here in, in verse 1, Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month. The people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. There's a lot of discouragement in the way, but one of the things that that characterizes the way is it's full of loss. It's full of loss. And uh, not much when you're young, unless you happen to be born into a family like that. Some of you experience loss at a young age, and that's rough. But you experience a lot more loss as you go along. And the longer you go along, the more people peel off and head to heaven. It's a way filled with loss. And you wonder sometimes, and I've stood next to graves and I've asked God, why do you give us someone to love and to fill our lives with laughter and then take them away? Like Job said, that which I feared the most is has come upon me the truth is is that it's a way that's full of loss we live in a sin cursed world and these people were discouraged because they had experienced loss in fact a little while later we see Aaron is lost as well at times we don't know how to uh, describe it we don't know how to vocalize it or verbalize it but when we lose someone something changes in our hearts and in our soul. Um, God gives us people that are pillars in our lives. These people remember Miriam. They know Miriam is the one that stood by the basket of that little boy and watched them and wouldn't, wouldn't let go of them and just watched them until she found somewhere for someone to take care of them. And then it was Miriam that that uh, sang and danced when Pharaoh's army was drowned in the Red Sea. And, and no doubt, no doubt, Miriam, uh, uh, she was the heart and the soul uh, for many people there in that congregation. No doubt many people had, had gone by her tent and had walked by her tent with their children and said, that's Miriam, that's the one that followed Moses when his mom put him in that little basket. That's Miriam. I'll never forget how she was so happy she came out with Timberland Dance and wrote that beautiful song that we still sing to this day. And she was, she was, you know what she was is she was a stable person in their lives. She was someone that had borne witness and borne testimony to the fact of, of God's deliverance. And I have pillars in my life. I have people that have borne witness, a, a great cloud of witnesses. I have people that have gone before me and they have told me how God has supplied all their needs. And they have told me how the Lord saved them out of a life of sin and how the Lord delivered them. And they're a pillar in my life. Uh, there's someone I could look, look to and, and they're always going to be there. And there were, there's people in my life, I can always count on them to tell me the truth. And I can always count on them to have a a scriptural perspective on the world. And I can always count on them to be a faithful witness. They're just someone that's reliable. And one by one, as we go along, those pillars start to crumble. You kiss that shriveled little purple form in the casket and say goodbye for the last time. And for a while, you just feel a little off. I hope you know what I'm talking about. I know you do. I was in North Carolina last week, and it's the home of my wife's grandmother. We called her Mimi. I got her Bible when she went to heaven last year and got some good notes out of it. She was a faithful woman who served God with an ungodly husband and prayed her kids through their rough high school years, and every one of them ended up serving God and being faithful to the Lord. And you could always call Mimi, and I, I, I've got in her Bible, I've got a prayer list. There's people in this room, you've never met Mimi, and when she died, I see the prayer list in her Bible, and your names are on it. You've never met Mimi, but she heard of you. She heard of you. You're on her prayer list, and she was a pillar in my life, and she was a pillar in my wife's life, and, and we used to, about every five years, we'd go down there to North Carolina, and we'd have a family vacation there at Ocean Isle Beach. And we'd always, the first stop would be at Mimi's house. And Mimi would tell us what scripture she was on. I'm up to 175 scriptures I've memorized. I'm up to 200 scriptures that I've memorized. And uh, she was just someone that you could always count on to love the Lord and be faithful. This last time we went there, and she wasn't there. And the beach was fun. The waves were beautiful, and the sun was hot and warm, and Everything else was the same, but I was sitting out there on the deck with Blair and we were looking out at the, at the sky as it, you know, faded into blue and periwinkle and that Atlantic coast, how it is, you know. And I just said, I don't know what it is. It's just not the same. She says, it's not the same. I said, it just seems like when you lose someone, the world just has a little less color. That's the only way I can describe it a little less color. Colors fade a little bit. The grass is bright green, but not quite as bright. The sun shines, but not quite as warm. It can be discouraging. It can be discouraging. And they'd experience loss, loss. Look at verse 2. He says, and there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together. The way is full of dry times, maybe you're there right now as a Christian. The truth is is that God brings you through valleys and He takes you over mountains and He takes you through dry places to make you thirst for Him. And after a while, those dry times can get to you. You just get tired. I want you to look here at verse 10. Well, look verse six. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly and the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Lord spake unto Moses, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So shalt thou give the congregation and their bees drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, here's Moses' big boo-boo. Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of the rock? This is Moses' great mistake. He failed to sanctify God in the eyes of the children of Israel. He just got so stressed and he got so tired of the complaining And got pushed to the breaking point. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. And he was to go up there and he was to speak to that rock. He was not to strike it. That rock's a type of Jesus Christ. We know that. And he messed up. God rebuked him for it. I could say that the way is full of disappointment in people that we look up to. Something that can discourage a Christian is just you have someone or something that you look you look to and it's not there anymore. You have someone that you thought was impeccable, that you thought was perfect, and you find out they're not. You have someone that you thought you could always rely on, and you find out they're human too. And for people that are spiritually immature, it can really hurt and it can really get you down when you see humanity in your leadership and in people that you look up to. You see, they saw Moses' weak side, and these people were accustomed to strength. They were accustomed to a man who walked into the presence of the most powerful man in the world and said, let my people go, and threw his rod on the ground, and it became a serpent. The man that Pharaoh said, if, <laughs> he said, buddy, I'm going to kill you, and he says, whatever. <laughs> He was a man. He was a real man. And he went there, and uh, when Israel was between Pharaoh and the sea, and he lifted up that rod, and he parted the waters of the Red Sea. And he was always someone that did the right thing, and he always walked by faith. And here, in a weak moment, he shows his humanity, which we all do eventually. We all do eventually. And if we're not careful, we'll allow those things to discourage us. And we'll think, well, if they're not spiritual, how can I ever be spiritual? Well, they're human. And can I tell you this? I don't care if it's your godly parents or, or your pastor or someone in the church that you look up to. Eventually, you're going to see the warts. You're going to see the pimples. You're going to see the imperfections and the blemishes. And you need to understand that that is of God. That's right. That's right. Paul said, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that were given unto me, there was given me a thorn in the flesh to buffet me. God will allow you to see weaknesses in your heroes so that you know that it's not them, it's him. And it'll be the same way for you. And you gotta get that. You gotta get that. And if you don't, you're gonna have a. a you're gonna be broken. And you're going to have a broken hope. And we could go on and on with that. But I'll tell you something else here in, in verse, uh, Numbers chapter 20 and verse 23. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron and Mount Hor by the coast of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, for he shall not enter into the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. Because he rebelled uh, uh, against my word at the water of, of Meribah. He says in verse 25, take Ellen and Eliezer, his son, and bring them up from Mount Hor and strip Aaron of his garments and put them upon Eliezer, his son. A respected man was decommissioned. Someone that had been there from the beginning. Someone that had had walked in with uh, Moses to Pharaoh. And I'll tell you, uh, when you're let down by people that you look up to, it's discouraging. I've seen it. I've had people, I've had people show me a side people that I looked up to, people that preached the word of God with faithfulness, show me a side that if I didn't, I wouldn't even think they were saved. But your flesh isn't saved. God allows. we're gonna see this. God allows these things. As you go along the way, God allows disappointment in people so that. You could turn your eyes to Jesus Christ. You have to understand that. Don't take it out on the person. Look at here at 21.1. And when King Arad the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. The Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the name of the place Horm. I'll tell you another thing that discourages us is constant battles. Because you know what it is for the children of Israel? It's one thing after another. Boy, you know what I'm learning? I'm 42 this year. 42. I used to think 40-year-old people were so old. Now I think I still got it, you know but I know I don't I'm 20 pounds overweight I'm slightly balding I drive a minivan (laughs) I ain't got any action whatsoever man none at all talk about being humbled yeah your day's coming Paco your day's coming but I'll tell you the waters wear the stones Sometimes it's not the, 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 the great disappointment. Sometimes it's, it's not the, the, the tragedies in life. There always seems to be a bucket load of grace for that. But it's just the insistent little foxes that spoil the vines. It's just going from one battle to another. It's going from one rebellious kid to another. It's going from one disagreement with the spouse to the other. It's going from one conflict at the church to another. It's, go, it's going from somebody else's kid biting your kid in the nursery to some girl, you know, stealing your girl's crayons in, in Sunday school to some girl uh, being a bully and telling all the other girls that your daughter stinks in eight, in, in, when they're eight years old. And all the way up through high school, all, it's just little stuff, little stuff, little stuff. Constant battles. And it can wear you out. And it wore them out. It says that the soul of the people, that soul's connected to your emotions. And people can have a collective soul. You think about after those Twin Towers went down, America had a collective soul for a while. I mean, you could be a a, a volunteer firefighter one day a month in Paducah, Mississippi, and people would come by, you know, buy you coffee and say, thank you, thank you for risking your life. (laughs) You know, I mean, everybody had this emotion and this patriotism that was a good thing. It's, tragedy brings people together. And people have a collective soul, and churches can have a collective soul, and families can have a collective soul. And discouragement is contagious. It's contagious. And, and if we're not careful, we can affect the people around us. And we can moan and groan and we can get down about the way things are going and not understand that it's the way, it's the way that God has chosen because if I'm not mistaken, there was a cloudy pillar by day and there was a fire by night and they went where that pillar said to go and that was God, uh, the presence of God leading them even through the roughest places. They were exactly where God wanted them. And if we're not careful, we'll lose our head a little bit and we'll be discouraged because of the way. And I want you to look at verse 5. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? When you get discouraged, you speak against God. And you know how they speak against God? By speaking against Moses' his servant. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt? You know, people always got to ha- find someone to blame. You know, oh, so-and-so's having marriage problems. I bet it's her. I mean, the other day when we were in line at the potluck, she gave me a look. Let me tell you something. I wouldn't want to live with her. And he's a nice boy. He's such a nice boy. It's her. Some of you aren't laughing because you fall into that garbage. (laughs) Let me tell you something. Your, Your little sweet little boy, he's a brat too. It takes two to tango, baby. That's right. It's never 100% someone's fault. Okay, once in a great while. Amen. You're welcome. Amen. And you get involved and you make it worse. That's right. Yes, you do. Instead of letting the kids work it out, you say, oh, he yelled at you. Why don't you come home? Why don't you come home? Well, he shouldn't yell it. Go slap him, but don't let her come home. Well, well I, I don't know anything that's going on. I just said that, okay? I have no idea. I just know people, okay? I understand. I'm not saying if there's abuse going on. You understand that. All right. Well, anyways. But you got to blame somebody. That's in human nature. The woman thou gavest me. The serpent beguiled me. Say, we always got to find someone to blame. We want to find someone to blame because we don't want to think about our emotional responsibility and our culpability and our responsibility to be healthy and to deal with the situation, with the tools that God has given us. And so we say, they made me do it. You know, I lost my temper because you made me mad. (laughs) No, you lost your temper because you can't control yourself. Because there's always going to be something that makes you mad. Just turn on the news. Your temper is your problem. It's not her problem. It's not his problem. But we always got to blame someone. Now I'm preaching just a little bit. It's always his problem or her problem. And they're blaming Moses. They're blaming Moses. And they probably got a little bit of ammunition. After all, he smote the rock. He disobeyed God. It's directed as servant. And when you... When you get discouraged and when I get discouraged, look what he said. He says, wherefore, they said, wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread. Neither is there anyone in our soul life if this loathed bread you've brought us here to die. Is this what you wanted? I've asked. I, to my shame, I've asked the Lord that. I've said, is this what you wanted? Did you bring me here to destroy me? And, you know, sometimes the answer is yes. That's right. Like the prophet said, I am he that hath seen affliction by his hand and by the rod of God. And the answer sometimes is yes, I did bring you here to die. I brought you here to die to self. But you say stupid stuff and we manifest unthankfulness as if God has never done us any good at all. Much discouraged because of the way. The antidote, what the Lord does here in verse six, and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and much people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord. And here's the the sad thing about discouragement. Here's where it gets rough is that when you get discouraged, it almost always gets worse before it gets better. It almost always gets worse before it gets better. The children of Israel called out of Egypt, and after all those hundreds of years of bondage, then they're trapped between Pharaoh and the sea, and they thought they would all be annihilated. God always brings you to that point where you have to trust Him, and things seem to get worse before they get better. The darkest hour is always before the dawn. I had a family in our church a while back, and and a father with uh, f- with four kids, and he got in his car uh, uh, Tuesday morning to go to work and uh, crossed the yellow line at 7 o'clock in the morning and ran right into a truck and into eternity, 32 years old, 32 years old, left a wife and four kids. And, uh, you know, we went through the, the funeral and the grieving process and, and, and still going through it. It hasn't been that long, and wouldn't you know, about two months later, about two months later, while they're still in the throes of loss, they come into church crying, and they say, Pastor, pray for our son. He lives out east, and his wife just left him and ran off with someone else. And I looked at him, and I thought, man, it just always seems to get worse before it gets better. And I don't know why that is, but the Lord allows it. The Lord allows it to get worse before it gets better. And he allows them to get snake bit. Now, this snake, you know, the antidote for that snake bite is a fiery serpent. And Moses makes a serpent out of brass. And brass in the Bible is a symbol of God's judgment. And he puts it on a wooden pole, puts it on a tree, he puts it on a stick. And the people look to that serpent, and they live after they've been bit by that snake. Look and live, we say. And it's a picture of Jesus Christ taking the judgment of God. And when those people are bit by that snake, all they have to do is look at the snake that took the judgment for them, and they would be healed. And it's a great picture of Jesus Christ Uh, as Moses, the Bible says, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man uh, be lifted up. But I want you to see that the Lord allows, the Lord allows these snakes to come. And discouragement puts us, listen, discouragement puts us in danger of being snake bit. Discouragement brings us to a place where we do and say stupid things, and then it even gets worse. And we add sin to sin. That's what happens when you get discouraged. You become your own worst enemy. Some of you get bummed out and you start drinking. Some of you get bummed out and you start taking dope. Some of you get bummed out and you, you, you go down to the store and start smoking again, because it's a stress relief. And that's what we do. When we get discouraged, we start making stupid decisions, and the next t- and, and before we know it, we're dead, because we've been snake-bit. What the Lord has done here with these snakes is He's allowed a very real illustration of their place in this journey. And uh, you know, this, these snakes, that snake's a symbol. We, we talk of it being a, a symbol of sin, but really it's a symbol of, of the curse. It's a symbol of the curse. You see, when, when Adam and Eve sinned and he cursed that serpent, he said, "'On thy belly thou shalt go.'" Thou shalt eat dust all the days of thy life. And that snake becomes the personification of the curse. And every time you see a snake wiggling through the grass, you're reminded of the curse. As God said, because of what you did, I'm going to make you eat dust the rest of your life. It's a personification. It's a reminder of the curse. Just like he said to that woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow, and in sorrow shalt thou conceive, and sorrow thou shalt bear children. And every time a woman has a baby, she's reminded of the effects of sin, and she lives the curse once again. And every time you get up in the morning and take another round of ibuprofen and stretch for a half an hour and go back to the job again... Even though you hate it, you know what you're reminded of? You're reminded that one time there was a perfect world and uh, there was a, a perfect tree and there was a perfect garden and there was a perfect marriage and they messed up and they rebelled against God and God cursed them. You're reminded of that every day. You're reminded of the effects of sin. And when God sends these serpents in here, he's showing them by illustration And he's showing them an example what discouragement does to them and what it does to the soul of the congregation. You're snake bit. And I'm sure some of you in here this morning, you're discouraged. And I'm sure some of you are snake bit because of the way. The way is cursed and dangerous. And the effects are getting bit. And the cure, the cure is not focusing on the way. Listen now. But on the way, what the way is meant to be. See, this is the good thing about discouragement. Discouragement brings us to a place where the results of sin are more apparent than the blessings of God, and that's bad. But it also brings us to a place where we can focus on the effects, the effects of sin. God is letting these people know the effects of sin and the antidote for it. Uh, You know, I want you to look here. Look here at verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. Much people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee, praying to the Lord, that he take away the serpents from us. Have you ever prayed that the Lord would take your morose mood away? you ever prayed that he would take away the snakes, the curse? I'll tell you this, we're never going to be delivered from the curse, but we can be delivered from some of the effects of the curse. But we'll always be in the presence of the curse until the Lord comes back. You see, the design of the way is to understand the curse. When these people were bit by these snakes, just like you've been snake bit and I've been snake bit. When these people were bit by sin, just like you've been and I've been. The Lord says, I want you to make an antidote for it. And that antidote is a snake itself. You see, it's the very thing that was biting them that was their deliverance. And in this, God teaches us a lesson, and that is that the thing that hurts us is what God uses to deliver. It is the thing that brings us pain that God uses to show us the power of His Son. I want you to think this morning, Adam and Eve sinned. God cursed them to remind them every day of their sin. He said to that woman, I'll greatly multiply thy sorrow. You say, how do you fix that? You don't. You can try, but kids bring sorrow. You say, I'll take an epidural. Fine. They're still going to bring you sorrow. They're going to break your heart. You say, when do you quit worrying about your kids? Never. You quit worrying about them when they're 30? Nope. You keep worrying about them when they're 40? No, you ain't never gonna quit worrying about your kids. Your kids are gonna bring you your greatest pain and your greatest joy. And you'll be reminded every day of your life of the effects of sin and the effects of the curse. Because mama, you would do anything for that kid even though he breaks your heart on a regular basis. He said, I will multiply thy sorrow. So what do you do? You have kids and you love them. Why? Why? Because you forget the pain when a man-child is born into the world. and When you look at their face and you look at the face of those grandbabies and you look at that kid that you love and you have given your life for, they're your greatest joy in the world. And I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in church. See, truth. See, you don't run away from the curse. I know what the liberal girls are doing these days. They're getting everything removed at 20 years old, you know, to save the polar bears. You know, like anybody needs a polar bear. No, seriously, I mean, when was the last time you were in the kitchen, you were like, man, if I just had a polar bear. And you're sitting there watching the games like, dude, I could really go for a polar bear right now. I don't know about you, but I'd just like if a polar bear would walk through this room. Anyways, you're not going to get away from it. There's always joy mixed with sorrow. You see, he said to Adam, he said, Cursed is the ground for your sake. Thorns and thistles it'll bring forth unto thee. He says, Man shall live by the sweat of his brow. Which means what? Which means get up in the morning and grab that hoe and go to work and sweat and come home at night and see the blisters in your hand. Because if you sit at home, it'll kill you even worse. All right. You don't get anywhere in life by running away from the curse. You embrace the curse. That's what you got to understand. The curse, there's always a blessing with the curse. You see, even in wrath, God remembers mercy. You know what we're seeing in this country? We're seeing the beginnings of the wrath of God. And it's not necessarily hurricanes or a bad economy. It's a gradual taking away of wisdom and common sense, which is more dangerous But in wrath, there's mercy because there's people that are looking for God. Amen, amen, amen. amen. Read the book of Revelation. There's always mercy on the other side of wrath. Come see the cross, the song said, where love and mercy meet. It's called the mercy tree, you see. And you can't get away from the curse. The desire of the slothful killeth him for his hands refuse to labor. You want to be happy, guys? You got to exercise, right? You say, I want a life of ease. I want to never be in pain. I want to never be uncomfortable. So I'm going to sit on the the couch and I'm going to play video games and I'm going to build myself this awesome tower and live on Cheetos and you'll be 350 pounds and die at 45 years old of a massive coronary and be miserable because you tried to avoid the rigors of the curse. He said, get out there and sweat and bust your butt and you sleep better at night and you feel better and you're happier. See, we have a nation that doesn't want to uh, embrace and a nation that is afraid of the curse. You have to embrace the pain. God gave it to you for your good but he gave it to you so that even in your labor and even in your joy, you can be reminded of sin and reminded that this world isn't perfect so that you will look to Jesus Christ and look to the answer and look to the antidote. I hope you're following me today. He allowed these snakes to come. You feel better. Oh boy, with every curse comes a blessing. The only way to mitigate the effects of the curse is to dig right into it. So that book says Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. He embraced the curse. It was an eternal decree of God and the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. And God is not a man that he should lie and there must be a penalty for sin. And Jesus Christ said, fine, I'll do it because you can't blame Moses, and you can't blame mom, and you can't blame dad, and you can't blame the serpent, and you can't blame your wife, and you can't blame your husband. And the fact of the matter is, ultimately, you don't have the emotional strength and temerity to even blame yourself. Cain said, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And the truth of the matter is, is that I cannot bear my own sin. And in the face of a holy, righteous, omnipotent God, I am not able to bear my sin. I fall at his feet. I fall on my face. I repent, as Job said, in dust and ashes. I cannot bear it. I'm not strong enough, but the Lord knew that. So when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, Made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. He was made a curse for me, a God. The Bible says, He hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. To wit, that God was in Christ, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Hallelujah what the Lord did in Jesus Christ, and I'm not able to bear it. I'm not able, I couldn't, I I talked to a guy on the plane the other day, I was telling you guys last night, talking about the Lord, and I said, what are you going to, what are you going to pay God for your sins? I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth. You're going to go up to heaven and write him a check and say sorry for cussing you how much you want? You can't pay him. You can't pay him. Oh no, he demands the blood of a perfect lamb the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. If you haven't trusted him today, you can. You can trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior because I tell you, you cannot bear the blame. You say, I'll go to church, it ain't going to be enough, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It's by grace through faith that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not a works. It's not a works. Say, I'll be a good boy. You won't be good enough. One little lie makes you a sinner. You're just as bad as a murderer when it comes to the righteousness and purity of Jesus Christ. You cannot take the blame any more than Adam or the devil or Eve could take the blame. No one can pay for your sins. And God says, I know that. And Job said, oh, I, if there were a daysman men betwixt us to plead my cause, because my suffering isn't good enough. The Lord says, I know. You see, (laughs) don't take this the wrong way, but God put the tree in the garden and God knew they were going to sin. If you can't pay for your sin, and God knew that, then in a way you could blame God. That book says in Romans that thou might be justified when thou art judged. And if you could get that to that point before God in heaven, you know what he would do? He would say, I'll see you. I'll give that to you. I put the tree there and I knew you were going to sin and I knew you were born a sinner and I knew that you were going to sin and I knew I was going to put you in hell. But I'll see you that challenge and I'll raise you, Jesus Christ, made a curse for us said, fine, you can't take the blame, so I will. We even now? Now we're even. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto themselves, not imputing their trespasses unto them. He's done his part. If so you just receive them into your heart and trust them, he'd give you his righteousness as the great Sunday school lesson this morning as we heard. He took the blame for you. It is true, you cannot bear the results of your sin. You cannot. You could burn for eternity in hell and not burn that sin off. But Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. Hallelujah. He washed it white as snow. The cure is the cross. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the sun of man be lifted up. And it's interesting because the cure, listen now, the cure for discouragement is the same as the cure for sin. It's the cross. It's the cross. See, Jesus Christ embraced the cross. He set his face as a flint. He says, who is he that will contend with me? In fact, that book said, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I can say, mom, who's got a way- wayward kid? I got in the car last night. I was so tired. I was so tired. Matt says, do you want to go eat? And I said, hey. And then, then I got hungry. So I did six U-turns on Overland looking for food last night. Everything closes early here. What is this, Christian country or something? Finally found Sonic, you know, and I went to grab that cup and wouldn't you know it, it just spilled. I was so tired, it spilled out of my hand, got all over the rental car. I was thinking about this sermon and and it reminded me of a time when I was real sick. Dropping coffee cups and spilling them all over the floor, couldn't even hold my Bible up in my hand. I've thought of people probably in this church that even now you're so sick. You're forgetting things, things that used to be easy. You can't do them anymore. It's the curse. It's sin. It's the world that we're born into. And I'm reminded of that. And I'm reminded of the pain of it and the frustration of it and the discouragement of it. But the thing, listen, The thing that discourages us is the thing that we must embrace. Just as, men, you get up in the morning and go to work, and just as, Mom, you know it's going to be a pain, but you decide to have that baby, so we must die to self in the things that God has given us to walk through. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You must embrace that sorrow that God has given you. Because when you are crushed and when you are broken, that is when the sweet fragrance of Christ can come out and fill the room. You see, the cross, the same thing that is a key to sin is the antidote for discouragement. We must accept the way that God has given us. The old timers used to sing about it all the time. No, no, it's not an easy road. No, no, it's not an easy road. But the Savior walks beside us. And brightens the journey, and lightens every heavy load. You've Got to embrace it. Don't run away from it. God gave it to you. I want you to see this. Look at here at verse. Uh, look at verse. Just about done here. Just about done. Look what he says here in verse 17. Then Israel sang this song. Spring up, O oh well. Sing ye. Sing ye unto it. They're without water again. They're without water again. Except this time, instead of complaining, you know what they do? They sing, and they dig. They rejoice in the cross, and they glory in that curse. They dig, just like God told Adam to do. Just like God told Cain and Abel to do. Till the ground. You're going to be a tiller of the ground, and you're going to rejoice in it. And when you do that, you get water instead of whining. When my mom got cancer, I watched her I watched her slowly die. And I'm not saying anything that you don't know. Many of you have been through this in your own family. And if the Lord tarries, we're going to see a lot more of it. You know, I lived in a country with no chemo and no radiation, and I watched people die of breast cancer. And it was not a pretty sight. And when my mom got it, I thought of those ladies that I'd visited in the hospital and prayed with and buried. It was hard. And it was hard for her. And I remember a few months before she died, she had to go to the hospital for something She was laying in that bed and she said, David, let's talk about heaven. Everybody else had gone home. People were tired. She said, You know, your dad was so good with the Bible. She said, I like the songs. That's how I learned the Bible. She could sing with no hymn book, hundreds of songs. She says, I feel like I need to know the Bible more. She said, tell me about heaven. I told her everything I thought I knew about heaven, some things I didn't, some things I theorized on. It was a precious, sweet time. The Lord gets you to a place where where food doesn't taste, where the pain is so unbearable that heaven seems pretty sweet. And see, these folks in the wilderness, they were still expecting sweetness out of life instead of realizing that life is stakes and life is hard. And so they didn't sing in their chains, they groaned in their chains. She sighed and she laid her head back on the bed and she said, David, I've asked the Lord why it's so hard right by the end. She sees the last years of my life have been the hardest. She says, the only thing I can figure is it's the last push by God to make me like Jesus Christ. That's it right there. Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. See, we see the way his destination. I want you to look here. He says, he says, an Israel journeyed in verse 4. He says in verse 11, an Israel journeyed. And Israel journeyed. I want you to turn to the last scripture and we'll be done. Look at Joshua chapter 1. You see, those elders had to die and Moses had to die because Moses represented the law. And the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And Moses had to die before they could go into the promised land. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. And in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. And we saw the way's discouragement, we saw its design, but we see the way's destination. Can I say something about the discouragement that we experience in this country with the things that are going on? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I'll tell you what, I was always... Just like the Cherokee and the Mescaleros and the Blackfeet and the Utes and the Iroquois and all the rest of them that had their time in this country, I got my time in this country and I'm going to be gone because I got another place waiting on me and my citizenship is in heaven. My hope isn't here. My hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ And the way that is discouraging, it's a journey, and a journey has an end, and the end is the promised land. And one of these days, the grasshoppers are going to eat everything, and the silver cord will be loosed, and the golden pitcher will be broken at the fountain, and David's going to go to his long home, he's going to hear the voice of my beloved, who comes leaping upon the mountains, and skipping upon the hills, and he's going to say, rise up! my fair one, my beloved, and come away. I was never intended to stay in the wilderness. It was God's design to put me here to make me more like Jesus Christ. It was God's design that I would learn to die to myself and glorify God Almighty with my life. And when He's done, He's going to say, come up hither. You're all done, boy. Old Robert E. Lee, the great Christian That died a few years after the Civil War. His last words were, "Strike the tent." That meant pull up the tent. We're going home. Dennis Brown, out there in Yakima, Washington, the old Independent Baptist preacher, planted dozens of churches all over the West. Eighty-nine years old. In his last hours, he said, "Uh," "He said I see lights, and it's just like I've always preached." Oh, yeah, that old man used to say, don't you cry for me when I lay in that casket. That's just my pod. I done shelled out and went home to God. He ain't here. He ain't here. He ain't here. He's risen. And Christ, who is our life, when he appears, then shall he also appear with him in glory. We got a place we're going. Yea, though I walk through, through, Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. My mom took her last breath. It was the greatest moment of her life. I wish I could see it. I'll tell you something. Do you know him? Do you know where you're going when you die? Do you know if you died right now, if you dropped dead right here, do you know that you would wake up in heaven? If you don't know that, I'm going to invite you to come to Jesus Christ today. I'm going to invite you to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and receive the gift of eternal life. Receive that life that has the power to blow you right out of the grave. I used to witness to this family in Tonga. They were called the Gutenbils. He was a German guy, came over. You never ask why. married a Tongan gal, and he owned a heavy equipment company, the only big equipment on the island. And he had three boys. And uh, one of them I witnessed real good too. Spent a lot of time with them. They were Catholic. One, one of them a little bit. The third one, was so shy, all I could ever do was give him tracks. I had to come home. I got real sick. I had to come home. I remember the last time I saw him, he had these bright blue eyes, real good looking guy, about 28, 29 years old, dark skin, bright blue eyes. And I remember I went up to him and said, hey, Maikolo, fe, fe hockey. You know, and I gave, him a, I gave him a tract and told him to read it. He said, thanks, I'll read it. That was the last time I saw him. I came back and I said, you hear about Maikolo? Oh, he said, well, he had a girlfriend on the other side of the island. and She showed up at the house on a Sunday afternoon. Mike's wife came out and they started having a fight. She got real mad and... He was standing by a fence post, and she ran her car right into him. He was still alive as they drove him to the hospital, but he bled out on the way there, internal bleeding, no hope. You know what his last words were? His last words were, that's what I get for drinking on Sunday. I got back there, and I went to his grave, and I wept. I wept. I hope he read that tract, and I hope he prayed that prayer, but I have no hope. And many times I'd go up there and stand in that cemetery overlooking the sea, and I'd cry over my colo and his kids that were left without a daddy. And I'd cry because I didn't know where he was, and for all I know, he's burning in hell. I'll tell you something. The day before my mom went to glory, she's laying there in that bed, Emaciated. She opened her eyes and she looked at my dad and she said, I'm leaving. Love you. She knew where she was going. She got up out of that bed to go to the restroom like she did a thousand times. And the last time she got up and coming back from the bathroom, she didn't go to her bed. She turned and as God is my witness, she faced due north. She fell to the ground and she was dead before she hit the ground. But brother and sister, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when I think of my mom, when I saw her in that casket, you know, it's been three years. And don't take this the wrong way. I ain't been to her grave yet. You say, why well, you can't handle it? No, she ain't there. She ain't there. And I believe that more than I believe I'm standing here preaching to you today. That to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I believe that our life is in Christ. I believe that this mortal must put on immortality. I believe that this incor- or this corruption must put on incorruption. Uh, one of these days, folks, the trumpet's going to sound in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and we shall be changed. I believe in that promise. I believe in the resurrection because of Jesus Christ. Uh, he's going to split heaven wide open and she's going to blow out of that grave with a new body and that's the next time I'm going to see it. And I don't need to see See it until then. I'm telling you. But I think about my colo all the time. But when I think about my mom, I think about her leaving that body that was so worn out. And I think of her rocketing up to heaven at a million miles an hour, moving through the universe with the stars filtering through her fingers like a million grains of sand and get before the throne and see the face of her lovely Savior and all the mysteries of life and all the mysteries of the universe and all the questions that she ever had. She's now known even as she was known and she wouldn't come back for love nor money. She would not. She wouldn't. Do you have that hope? I have it. Do you want that hope? You can have it today by trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Don't deny him. Look to the cross. Look to him bearing your sin. Trust his resurrected life, and the power to save you from your sin. Let's, uh, let's bow for prayer. I'm just going to cut it off. Let's bow for prayer. Christian, I don't know where you're at today. I know I went a little long. But maybe you're in here today. And you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior. You don't know 100% that if you died today that you would go to heaven. I'd like to invite you today to come down here. And we'll take someone with the Bible. We'll take someone with the Bible. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed as the piano plays softly. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never received his gift of eternal life, you can do that today. I invite you to do that. Christian, if you're discouraged because of the way, this way is meant to turn your eyes to Jesus Christ. Let God use it in your life for his glory. Pastor.
1: go ahead and stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 276. Is that correct? 276. Let's sing this song.
2: I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all, Jesus made it all, all to him I owe. When sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it once, verse 3, for no. I'll wash my garments white In the blood of Calvary's Lamb. For my Jesus made it all And all to Him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain Died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat, my Jesus faded all, oh, all oh, to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain.
1: Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, uh, we've been fed today. Uh, We've been challenged. And we've been brought to places that uh, you seldom go. And for that, we're thankful. And we're thankful that uh, you were in the middle of this thing this morning. And so all I can say about all this is, in the end, It all comes back to you. It all comes back to what you said in the book of Hebrews, looking unto Jesus, the author. And we thank you, Lord, that you're the finisher of our faith. You're there in the beginning. And Lord, for each and every one of us, you'll be there for the end. And so for this, we're grateful. And we're reminded once again No matter what it is in life that we're dealing with, it really comes back to just getting our eyes back on you and realizing what Jesus did for us on the cross with his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and that, Father, for all the travail of life and the travail of death, in the end, we get to go home and be with you. And we get to go to a place that's so unimaginably wonderful that you really didn't say a lot about it in your word. Because in the end, you said, I hath not seen. ear hasn't heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Father, by our natural senses, we don't even have anything to compare it with. And so, Father, we're thankful for that great truth We look forward to that day, and in the meantime, help us to keep our eyes on you. Thank you for this country we live in. We pray that you'd have mercy upon her for all of her sins, and we know that you have to judge this nation, Father. Nations don't go into eternity, so they have to be judged in time. We know that, but we ask in your mercy that that judgment might be prolonged. And Father, perhaps, as you did with Abraham and said, I'd spare the place, I'd spare the place for 10. Uh, Lord, may we be part of that remnant. May we be part of that remnant that you look at and maybe spare America just a little bit longer. And so we thank you for this day. We thank you for all of your goodness. And we pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.